Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. Sometimes we, we consider them formal and stiff, but those they were um, there were people just like us. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Derek Lapp discussing the troubled love life of Otho Harlan Williams. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the Small Battle series, with two new releases The Battle of Musgrove's Mill, 1782, by John Buchanan and the Battle of Harlem Heights, 1776, by David Price. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Light those candles and get your chocolate ready. Today is our very special Valentine's Day edition of Dispatches. Our guest today is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Derek Lapp, and he'll be sharing his research on the Maryland officer Otho Harlan Williams and his torrid and tumultuous love life. This is a really wonderful article because it accomplishes a few things. Number one, it's an excellent profile on a revolutionary figure that we don't have enough good information on. And number two, it really serves to humanize a revolutionary generation that's often viewed as being quite stuffy. If you spend any large amount of time looking at the notes and letters and journals of many of these people, you'll realize it's quite the opposite. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Derek Lapp. Derek Lapp, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Brady. It's great to be back. Derek, you've been on the show. Remind us about your background. Um, let's see. I'm in the logistics field as my trade. been doing that for about 30 years. Um, uh, working with a uh, supply chain company currently, and prior to that, I was a uh, transportation officer in the uh, United States Army. But my my um, undergrad and my graduate degrees are both in history, and I've concentrated on the American Revolution. And, and um, you know, even though I'm a, I consider myself a rank amateur, I, I am lucky enough when I when I'm able to to write an article now and then, I got great outlets like the Journal American Revolution that'll that'll go and publish for me. Derek, this is an unusual article, uh, not one that's easy to research about someone's love life. So let me ask, what drew your interest into this topic? Well, I'm, I'm actually writing a uh, biography about um, a Maryland general named Otho Holland Williams. And, you know, as you're organizing your research and, and putting everything into buckets and topics. Um, one particular topic that's kind of, you know, been interesting to me is Williams's relationship with women um, and, and particularly love interests. And, you know, it just occurred to me to, to see what I could do to put a, to put together an article that, that would maybe um, be just in time for February and Valentine's day. And I, uh, it, it worked out that way. Derek, for those who don't know, tell us, who is Otho Williams? So Otho Holland Williams um, was 
one of three Maryland officers in the, in the Continental Army to achieve the rank of general. Um, but he's, it's an interesting, um, interesting story. I mean, unlike uh, William Smallwood, who is uh, the first of the, the Maryland generals, uh, who is a planter from, from Charles County in the eastern part of the state, and uh, Mordecai Gist, who is the second um, ranking general, he's a brigadier general out of Baltimore. He, he was the son of um, some merchants. So both of those guys are from the eastern part of the state. Williams is, is different. I mean, he, he grows up on the Maryland frontier, um, you know, really the, the, the western fringe of, of the British Empire, um, he, where he grows up um, in a place called Conakachee Creek. Is, is way out there past present day Frederick, Maryland, and, and was really on the, uh, the front lines of the French and Indian War. Um, he's, he's orphaned as a, as a teen, and, and so it works his way up. I mean, he starts, he starts the, uh, his career in the Revolution early on. He's in one of the rifle units that's raised in 1775, so he, he represents that first um, uh, first set of continental units raised by Congress outside of, of New England. And he stays in for the duration. He uh, works his way up from a lieutenant to captain to major, gets to be a colonel and, and commands a regiment. And, and that regiment goes down to um, the Carolinas as part of the, the, the American Southern Department. And, and Williams plays a pretty prominent role down there. He's actually... Um, a few points during that campaign, the, the second ranking regular army officer behind um, Nathaniel Green himself. Um, so he, he has an interesting career in the army. Then he, he gets out, he gets a lucrative job um, as, as the uh, collector for the port of Baltimore. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's on his way by, uh, by the time I opened the, uh, the article up in, in 1783. Derek, your article opens up in Annapolis, Maryland during a pretty busy time. Could you tell us what's going on in Annapolis and why is Williams there? Well, Annapolis is where Congress happens to be sitting in, in, in late 1783 in, in December. Um, the C- Congress as we know, I mean, we had been in Philadelphia for, for most of the war, but um, there was some, some uh, disillusionment on some of the, the Pennsylvania line regarding payment at the end of the, the war. And, and Congress kind of skedaddled out of, out of Philadelphia. They went to, to Trenton for a time, um, were there for a few months, and then uh, worked their way down to Annapolis. So that's where they happened to be convening here at the, in December of 1783. And, and Washington was in town because he was making good on, on the promise that he made at the beginning of the war when he was uh, selected as commander-in-chief that he would um, surrender and resign his, his commission. So he was going to do just that. The, the, the British had um, finally evacuated New York, um, set sail with uh, Sir Guy Carleton, and Washington saw them off from New York in November and started making his way down. So he was heading to Annapolis. He stopped in Baltimore where, um, as I mentioned, Wal- uh, Williams had, had recently 
resigned in, in his commission in the, in the army and was now um, working in a government job for the for the state of Maryland as collector. He represented Baltimore. The, their delegation met Washington and um, accompanied Washington down to Annapolis for the for the resignation. Um, it was a pretty big event. It was uh, obviously had all the members of, of, of Congress there, um, but all the movers and shakers from Annapolis were were at the event to, to watch Washington submit his resignation. It was a it was a moving event. Um, everyone who witnesses the, the couple that have recorded it no, noted how um, there were nary a dry eye. Um, but um, Williams was was not only there thinking about um, Washington's resignation. He had, had, had some other things on his mind. And, and um, as a, I termed it in the, the article, it, it, these were affairs of the heart that were on his mind, um, uh, mainly a, a, a young woman named Sophia. Derek, what do we know about this mysterious Sophia that Williams is so enamored by? Well, anyone who, 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 who you know, quote unquote, does history, it's, it's not always, cut and dry you got to do some some detective work and uh, Williams doesn't ever name Sophia by her full you know he doesn't give her family name so I had to do some some digging some triangulation and 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 you know take take um, my best swing here and um, Sophia we know lives in Annapolis um, we know her her parents don't uh, don't approve of the relationship with, with Williams. And he's got some, some allies that are helping him out. Um, uh, Henry, Henry Lee, Henry Lighthorse, Harry Lee is, is one of the primary uh, conspirators, if you will, helping Williams in, in his sort of clandestine uh, courtship of, of Sophia. And he mentions where Sophia and her family live. Um, so, so does another one of uh, Williams's correspondents. So, so based on the name of, of, of the uh, residence, Strawberry Hill, um, was able to, to figure out who owned that residence. He was a member of the uh, Sprigg family, Richard Sprigg, and um, it's a fairly prominent uh, Maryland family. And Sprigg did actually have a daughter named Sophia, who would have been 17 at the time. And Williams was 34, so who knows? That might have been one of the the uh, objections that the Sprig, the Sophia's families had to to Williams. But it, it took a little bit of triangulation to get there. But I'm, I'm fairly sure that Sophia Sprig fits the uh, fits the profile. Derek, you describe in your article in a very wonderful way, uh, sort of a secret plan that Williams and Sophia have to meet up. Uh, could you tell us how that went and how it all came crashing down? Yeah, it's, it's it, it almost reads like a, a novel. I mean, they're, they're, as I mentioned, the, Williams is complaining how the, the parents don't approve. Um, he's complaining to his friends that he has to engage in, in sort of a clandestine courtship with secret, you know, letters passed secretly and, and, and what have you. And so... Finally, um, I mentioned Henry Lee, and, and, and Lee's encouraging Williams. He says, "Look, if if she's sincere, she'll she'll 
still elope and 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 that's probably the way to go you get down here to annapolis um go through with an, an elopement and you know we'll, we'll we'll get the boss to 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 smooth things out meaning you know washington could smooth things out with the family um which i thought was a pretty bold uh, assumption on on Lee's part to think that, that Washington will want to get into that mess, but that was that's the plan. And while Washington's in Annapolis, uh, uh, actually, you know, anywhere Washington happens to go from this point on, there's always it's a big deal, and and, and all the big dignitaries and and and. Um, high society turns out to, to fet Washington. And, and that's what's going on in Annapolis this week while he's um, doing his resignation. Um, there are balls being held um, throughout the week. And at one of these balls, the plan is for Sophia and Williams to declare themselves. And as uh, Williams kind of relates the, the plan to, to his friend, Nathaniel Green, he says, you know, Sophia is going to throw herself under my protection in front of the, the what he calls the court of the United States, meaning, you know, all the the, the dignitaries and, and Congress folk and, 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 and leading families of Annapolis. And, and the plan, he says, he claims, was actually Sophia's um, brainchild, that uh, this is what they should do, declare themselves, and he would be able to sweep her away. Um Unfortunately, <laughs> um, Sophia gets cold feet, Brady, and um, ends up uh, backing out of the plan at the last minute. Is what uh, also tells Green that uh, she she says she can't go through with it. And what's more, they need to return one another's letters and pledges of love and 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 essentially erase their uh, existence of their courtship. So Derek, how does Williams bounce back from this heartbreak? Tell us about his, his next love affair uh, dealing with the widow. So the, <laughs> the widow, yeah, the widow. Um, and actually, so the, the, the courtship and, and um, engagement to Sophia Sprig was not, Otho's um, first go-round. Um, earlier in the war, um, around 1778, 79, um, you know, he, he was um, engaged to a woman named Maria Ogden, someone he refers to as his dear girl. Um, and unfortunately, he, as he put it, there's a, there's a parody of their fortunes um, and, and by fortunes, he means the absence of fortunes. Uh, they're both uh, uh, financially um, uh, strapped, if you will. And one of Otho's friends says, look, um, marriage now is going to ruin you. you. You can't do this on, on an officer's pay. I mean, by this point in the war, Congress is notorious for, for, for the, the back payments that are due to not just the officers, but the rank and file. It's, it's, getting pretty endemic by this point in the war. So um, basically the author was broke and he ends up calling off the, the uh, engagement to Maria. 
um, adieu, Maria, he says, you know, I never felt the weighty curse of poverty so much. So his first go round falls through, but he's still a, a fairly young, young man. He's in his late twenties when, when this uh, occurs and he goes back to the, you know, the, the life of a swinging bachelor. Um, he's, on the move, he's with the army, he's traveling, um, and he sort of has a reputation with with the ladies. And it's it's interesting, Brady, to to see in his papers the correspondence Williams has with with his friends, where they uh, it's fairly gossipy, is the way I characterize it, as they compare notes on women of interest. Um, who's, who's, you know, quote unquote, a sweet girl, who's got manners and beauty and uh, who's accomplished. Um, one letter from, from uh, Thaddeus Kosciuszko, um, uh, engineers, a, a Polish officer who, who joined the, the Continental Army. Um, he's down in, in South Carolina and, and, and sending email or email sending letters to, to um, Williams about how he was drawing pictures of ladies and then they, they were chasing him around. Um, so there's a lot of just gossip going on and it's a comparing notes. But um, reading through Otho's papers, I, can, I, I found a few instances where, um, you know, it, it would seem that there's more than just gossip going on and more, more than just talk about, about women. Um, and one of them is this incident with uh, <laughs> a widow in, in exchange with um, Major Edward Carrington, um, another member of, of Nathaniel Green's staff. And I wish I had Williams's letter to Carrington, but Carrington's responding to something Williams wrote. And he's, he's talking about the, the, this widow who they must have both been um, uh, trying to impress and, 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 and maybe even court, who knows, but um, it sounded like there was an actual uh, sexual relationship going on the way um, Carrington characterized the uh, actions between the two. He's talking about, you know, it, it's a pretty body letter talking about ins and outs and with the widow and he's underlining, highlighting these words. And, and kidding Williams, saying that you know he, he thought he was a challenge, but he you know then he thinks about how Williams is older than he is, and it's you know uh, really nothing to worry about because Williams probably won't have the stamina that uh, Carrington has. So it's it's a fairly body letter that that surprised me because we we sometimes tend to think of this revolutionary generation as as formal and stuffy, but clearly not the case. Um, and in, in addition to this, you know, I've seen letters from, um, uh, from Nathaniel Green um, with, with entries from his wife, Kitty, you know, scolding Williams for being so, uh, so tyrannous to the to ladies and being an unrepentant bachelor. So he seems to have been a little bit of a, uh, a, a Don Juan um, during this, this time as the bachelor. He even says, you know, to a friend, I've, I've had a very good um, time as a bachelor filled with happiness and, and much success. So uh, the letter with Carrington seems to show that um, 
characterizes that success, if you will. Derek, do we have a happy ending in this story? Does Williams ultimately find love? <laughs> well, the third time's a charm, Brady, and, and yes, he does. Um, after, it takes a, takes it a little bit harder after Sophia. Um, the, the letters are a little bit more grim back and forth between he and his friends, but they all finally uh, tell from the, the, the tenor of the correspondence that he's coming out of his funk from being um, brokenhearted and, and, and really humiliated as well by Sophia and, and finally starts entertaining um, the ladies again about a year or so um, after, after the failed elopement with Sophia. And um, he ends up uh, among the ladies in, in Baltimore that he's he's treating to uh, you know tea parties and and, and, and sort of uh, uh, celebrating with um, is, is a young lady named Mary um, Smith who everyone calls her Polly is her nickname and he ends up marrying um, Polly Smith and, and Smith's father William Smith is a a uh, successful merchant in Baltimore. He's going to end up um, serving in Congress. And, and unlike Richard Sprigg, um, um, William Smith is, is extremely fond of his, his son-in-law. He even he names um, uh, one of his farms just outside of Baltimore, names it uh, Utah after um, the Battle of Utah Springs, where uh, Williams played a, a, a very prominent role in that battle. Um, and, 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 and Williams and um, Smith maintain a, a pretty um, steady correspondence while Smith's in, in, in Congress. And, and so there's a, a real, a, a genuine friendship and appreciation between the two, which didn't in, exist in, in the case of Sophia's parents. Um, Williams, and um, his wife, Polly, uh, it, it took a long time for him to find love, but it was, was short lived. I mean, they were married um, just under 10 years. They had, they had four children, four boys. Um, but unfortunately, um, he, he passed in 1794, as I said, just really um, shy of, 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 of 10 years of marriage and um, a family member would later uh, later recall how after Williams passed that uh, you know all all um, smiles seemed to um, you know fade from from uh, Polly's face afterwards and um, she died a, a year after her husband did in 1795 so they did find love but um, it was short lived it seemed how do you think this article helps us understand the revolutionary era better. Well, I think any time that we can we can broaden the focus on the the the, um, the personas of the revolutionary area, but on the um, on the main characters that we that we tend to focus on, it helps to to increase our understanding of, of the society as a whole um, during the time period, and and what that does is it. You know, gives us a, a, a chance to to understand the mentality and motivations of of everyone involved in this this you know, sweeping event. Um, and 
in understanding, you know, the 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 courting and dating and, and you know, love life of, of folks sort of humanizes these these folks in the past that, that as I mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes we, we consider them formal and stiff, but those they were um there were people just like us trying to, to live and and, and and go about their lives and, and at the same time were involved in this this sweeping war and, and the founding of a, a nation. So it kinda helps us understand the origins of the uh the country better. And you know, I'd throw it back to you. I'm not I'm not super familiar with any sort of historiography on relationships in this time. I mean, the only thing that, that I can really think of is um, there was a study by Annette Gordon-Green about Jefferson and Sally Hemings, but, you know, is, is there anything that, that you think of that, that studies that, that focus on relationships like this? I, I, I don't see a lot of it out there. So, Derek Lapp, thanks again. Well, thanks a lot, Brady. I appreciate it. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.